Guess I'm finally right here. Guess there's no turning back. Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today I'm joined by Josh Silverman, who is the first ever design producer at Twitter. But thank you so much for coming on today, man. It's uh, super fun to have you here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Obviously, as, as I mentioned, you know, the first ever design producer at Twitter. Tell me about your journey before this. How did you first get into like design and um, how did you kind of find your way? Take me from the very, very beginning. <laughs> well, <laughs> the day you were born. Okay. <laughs> That would be December fourteenth, nineteen seventy-one. It was a it was a Tuesday afternoon. Awesome. <laughs> um, no, I um I was doodling logos as a kid, and I was musical, playing the piano, and came up with brands before I knew that I was coming up with brands. It was literally innate in me. I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was like something to do to pass the time. Maybe I don't know, like an early hobby. Right. So. I doodled logos as a kid. I uh, roped my brother into doing background vocals for <laughs> jingles that I would come up with for brands that didn't exist. Um, if I called him up right now, he'd be able to do the background vocals, which is kind of crazy many, many decades later. Yeah. Um, I was into typography and movie titles. I tried my hand at calligraphy. I, I was playing the piano. I played clarinet. I've always wanted to play drums. So there's a lot of like creative output, um, including photography. Very similar got, childhood so far. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I got to high school, and I looked at the course catalog for the art barn in this very small liberal, liberal arts school in Danbury, Connecticut, called Worcester School, and I saw a course offering called Graphic Design, and this was 1988, so that's a slightly different right. uh, for graphic design. Different and, animal. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, huh, this is a course. Okay, this is a career. Okay, I had no idea. And it was instrumental because th this high school had um, a program by which the, the last five weeks of our senior years, we could leave the, uh, the campus and have our first job. Right. As long as we were doing something for the benefit of some community organization. So lo and behold, I landed a job as an intern. Uh, I was 16. Uh, the place is called Metro Marketing. I had my first mentor. I learned professional practice. I learned how to answer the phone. I learned how to take a memo. Um, I learned how to present work. And um, I, I worked at Metro Marketing for the summer. Um, I, I like did my senior independent study, um, used the newfound power of design to like do something for the benefit of an, a dot org essentially. Right. Um, there weren't dot orgs in 1989. Yeah. And, uh, and I was hooked. I was like, wow, this is not only fun and relatively easy, but I get to use a lot of my skills. I get to present work. I get to learn how to be more professional. And I was like, this is the power of design. We can, we can do things for good. And you know, the agency was pretty small it was me and Rick, my mentor, and a couple of other people. And he had some other clients, but he really helped me understand what it was like to be a professional. And I, I, started, um, I started learning my professional practice with, with him and stayed on um, for the, the summers during school years. Um, he rebranded as Spectrum, and that was cool. I got my first business card. <laughs> Like, Did it have your name on it? That's very important. It only counts if it had your name on it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was amazing to get that that early start. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny, like those people, you know, we were talking before the podcast, like those initial people that you kind of come across. And I had a very similar situation like that um, when I came in, you know, for me, that was like Ron Burge at, at Hershey. And I remember just kind of like he just kind of he's very forthcoming and transparent about things with me in a way that's, uh, at, you know, I had just been in college where everyone's kind of like walking on eggshells and doesn't do anything. But Ron was always very transparent and honest with me. And it. And I watched the way that he would carry himself in meetings and like public speaking engagements and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's kind of just like you learn by, by watching them. So I think finding those early mentors was, was really big. Yeah, especially if you can be like, if you can work pretty closely with them, like the larger the agency or the larger the organization, you don't maybe get the same kind of access to the founder. Yeah, um, I fight for that access. I don't even care. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you have to as, yeah. a, as, a trainer, as a professional and as a, as a mentee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was um, that was '89. Um, I graduated in '90. I graduated uh, Ithaca College in '94 um, with a degree in um, media studies, which was great. Um, it wasn't. I didn't go to design school. Um, I applied to RISD. I didn't get in. It's probably just as well because the media studies degree. I have mad respect for RISD, but the media studies degree at Ithaca College taught me how to think and how to write and how to articulate my thoughts. Um, and how to argue for or against something and to be able to be empathic for what it is I was learning mm-hmm. um, and how to argue um, uh, for a point. Right. Um, so it was, it was, it was theoretical. Um, I tried to balance that with some practical and tactical applications of, of my brain. Um, I got some really good advice from, I, I was an English minor and I got some really good advice from um, uh, an advisor uh, who told me to touch dirt because I was spending too much time in my brain. So I have a garden and I've always liked to, that's so cool. I graduated in 94 and, uh, I, I was back at my parents' house and I was like, move to New York or move to Boston, move to New York or move to Boston. Right. And I started getting involved in AIGA back then. I went to a couple of AIGA New York events and thought that if I was eventually going to start my own business, I'd want to do it in Boston. So Boston, it was, um, moved in 95, landed a job in-house at Houghton Mifflin Company. At the time, it was called Houghton Mifflin. I was working uh, evenings and weekends freelancing on the side in some capacity. And um, one of my first big freelance jobs was for a company called IS Robotics, which is now called iRobot. Lo and behold, um, the parent company of iRobot was the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab. And the AI lab saw what I did for... Uh, iOS Robotics, and they said, we really liked your work. Can you come in? Because we want to rebrand. <laughs> and uh, that was 97. And I I was like, holy shit, this is a huge opportunity. I knew that I wanted to start my, start my own business, but I didn't know when I was going to do it. And slowly hanging up my desk phone after getting off the phone with the assistant to the director, Rod Brooks, I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm never right. going to do it. So that's when I started. And you how old at the time? How old when this happened? Uh, 24. Okay. So right around my age. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> gotta get, gotta do it. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's the time. It's the the twenties are the years to do that stuff. So that's really cool. I had five thousand dollars saved, and I had um, a Quadra 800, which is like you know a historic Mac. Um, I think we were using Quark Express for print layout. Um, there was some early, early website work that uh, AI that, that the AI lab had uh, engineers on on staff. They just wanted us to do all the front end stuff. So, right. um, 
logo and poster, recruitment poster and brochure and letterhead and business cards and um, a whole suite of materials for the AI lab was the first major project that I had for Schwa Design. Right. Um, I had no like pipeline, no sense of like how to continue to sell like 20% of your time right. uh, should be selling. So after that AI lab project ended, I was like, okay, now what do I do? Right. And I like looked for work and networked and stuff. Um, I freelanced in-house for small and medium agencies. Um, Visual Dialogue is still around. Fritz mm-hmm. Klecki was a huge, huge mentor to me at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and eventually just like got more work and that, that was, um, that was how Schwa Design sustained itself for uh, 18 years. And it was fun to do everything yourself. But right. I realized, having worked in-house, I realized that there were a couple of shortcomings with uh, the agency model. And I wanted Schwa Design to be nimble and flexible. So if a client had two or three needs, maybe you could do it in a one or two person team. If the client had a list of 150 deliverables, maybe you needed to scale up. Right. And so um, my my friend Randy put it pretty brilliantly. He said it's matching problem solver to problem solved. And we were a lean holocratic network for 18 years. So if a person wanted to have, if a freelancer or a typographer wanted to have like 10 hours on a project, they could do that. But yeah. a lot of my core team earned most of their income through the business. And it was, it allowed us to sustain, because everyone was contracted, it allowed us to sustain uh, three moves, two downturns in the economy, um, wow. to scale, scale down based on what the client's needs were. And it, it just made sense to me to run the business that way. For sure. So yeah, we were able to work with like um, medium regional agencies, large national brands, international brands, and that scalability and flexibility meant everything to me and to the kind of um, team configuration I was able to do, right? Um, to be able to, to be able to bring in a, a, a contractor and a specialist for um, a smaller part of a project or just a project-based um, engagement was a great way of making the right people be in the room to solve the problem. The SWAT design model was great for a long time, and um, I'm still happy that I that I worked that way for so long. The the second company uh, that I started is called Startnership. Mm-hmm. Startnership was a was born out of working with startups uh, through through Schwa Design and realizing that there was a better way to get things done faster. Right. Um, Schwa Design had its own process and its own model, but <clears throat> if you're a startup and you need stuff really fast because you have a meeting on Friday that you just found out about, um, how are you going to get your stuff together? in time for this pitch, in time for this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's East Coast versus West Coast or um, product versus brand, but there's definitely something different about how fast things get done here in the West Coast, mm-hmm. in, in the area particularly. Yeah. So I realized even, um, even when I was back East that there was a better way to move and that faster way to move was to get all the people in the room in a workshop and have a tight agenda so that everyone knew what they were going to go into doing right. in a couple of days or in a week. And the model for Startnership is just that, like have, have a fixed price to a workshop and have a tight agenda so that at the end of the workshop, you know exactly what you're going to get through the workshop and within a week or two after the workshop. That's so cool. I love that. That sounds that, awesome. 
Yeah, it's 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 amazing to be able to look across startups at different phases of growth and say, this is two people in a garage, you know, the typical startup like Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak kind of story, yeah. Or yeah, the sort of like ancient lore of startup Landia. Um, at that stage of business, you probably need a story or a little bit of a narrative, maybe a TLDR, like this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it. Right. Maybe you have a little bit more traction on your product or service, you would probably need a name or a landing page and maybe a logo, maybe business cards. If you have more traction, if you're a 10 to 20 person company and you've, you've got some code, you've got something running on it, you've got an app, let's say, or you've got some prototypes, you'll have a bigger list of design and communications needs. And over time, you get to see patterns in what those businesses need so you can make the workshops fit those lists of deliverables. Right. And but you know fashion. what you're coming to the table and what you're talking about, right? Exactly. That's an awesome model, man. That's so cool. So Startnership was, was starting to take off and I was also running out of money and I didn't want to move back to the East Coast. Uh, it's hella expensive here to live in the Bay Area. Definitely. Um, I was crashing with friends. I was sleeping on couches. I was airbnb the place that I was renting so that I could afford to pay the rent. And wow. it, was, it was a hustle. And I was like, I can't sustain life like this. And so being able to join the IBM design team through uh, a startup called the Blue Mix Garage was a great next step because I got to continue to practice uh, workshop facilitation, be funded essentially to learn um, about how IBM's design tools were working for startups, but also for Wells Fargo and Fortune 500 companies, right. which I wouldn't necessarily have had access to uh, through Startnership. Right. So through IBM, I, um, I learned how to customize a workshop to a local market and to make it make sense or enable it for uh, a certain um, cultural milieu, and I also uh, got to fly around the world and got to work with some amazing people and um, love everything that's going on with IBM Design. I mean, Doug Powell and team, yep. Seth Johnson are are doing some fantastic work. Um, so this is this is an interesting transition. I was I was loving the garage. I was loving uh, the IBM Design tools, and I was loving the relationship between. Um, the garage and IBM Design, and I always wanted to like bridge, um, bridge that more. Like find out from the source, like what's next in IBM Design? What new tools are we going to have? Like how are we going to begin talking about these tools in a in a more in a broader way? Right. And during one particular pitch um, in in the garage, I noticed that the CTO myself and a systems architect were telling slightly different stories, like slightly different flavors of what the garage did. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we need to work on that. Like we need to make sure that our slides are consistent because it looks bad for a client who's like coming into the garage to see if like they want to work with us. And, um, and seeing that there was an opportunity to like improve upon this was like what I wanted to do, how I wanted to spend my time as sort of a design operations person within the garage. My friend Dave Bologna, who worked at Twitter for three and a half years, um, who also worked at Schwa Design fresh out of college. I hired him um, pretty much right after he graduated, and he freelanced for Schwa for years. Um, Dave said, well, uh, there's a new role opening up in, in product called uh, design producer, and it is 
primarily responsible for what you want to do at the garage, would you be interested in uh, applying for this role? And I said, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Twitter, man, come on, you gotta. <laughs> Twitter, it was a new role. It appealed to my entrepreneurial self. I sort of drafted my own job description. Yeah, and uh, and I was thrilled that they created a role to help do. The operational work that I have that I had done at Schwa, that I had done with Startnership, I, I'm very like clear about how different functions of the business need to be able to communicate with each other. Right. And because I wasn't doing that at the garage, I put in my notice, and I didn't really want to do that either. But I I couldn't pass up the opportunity to to be in a new role at Twitter and to also join Twitter. When people are applying to work with you, or you know, coming to apply to work at Twitter, or or you know some of the, the places that you've worked. Um, what are some of the things that you're you're looking for? Because you've worked in so many different mediums and so many different industries. You know what makes someone stand out, and what are also some of the things that are the kind of the common misconceptions or things that you don't really care to see when someone's showing you their book. So I've been on a couple of interview panels at Twitter, and I'm um, I have been surprised when someone will come in to an interview not knowing what the fuck the job is about right <laughs> or not knowing what Twitter's up to like do your homework like do a little research get some intel look at LinkedIn look at a blog look at a marketing blog look at a product blog look at medium get a little bit smart on where it is you're going so that you can have good conversations with the people that could potentially be your coworkers. I think it's also really nice to like know that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And I didn't think about that for my own career until I came on the Twitter panels. Um, I had three rounds of interviews here. Um, but it, because it was a new role, I was asking a ton of questions about what I would be doing and how and with whom and what the perception was about somebody who could be in this role. Um, but it wasn't until like the second round that I was like, I'm, I have to feel like this is a good fit for me. And it wasn't a, a selfish play, but I figured out that it was like, I'm interviewing them. Like I have to figure out what they, what their expectations are and what they want someone in this role to do if it's me or someone else. Right. Your uh, portfolio should be framed as a bunch of case studies. Um, your opportunity or the problem space, the hypothesis you have about what you're hoping to solve for any experiments or many experiments that you've run about solving that, um, what you've done with the feedback you've given or your, or the early results or like where you are in the process. If it's, if it's the current experimentation or if it's a, if it's a historical experimentation, like what you've learned from it. And if you're in the middle of it, like what the ideal future state is or wants to be and absolutely what your role has been in the whole thing. There's nothing worse than like looking through a whole case study and being like, oh, I wrote the copy or yeah. I, picked, I picked the color blue or whatever. But like I, I want to know all those things about each of your case studies. And it can be a lot to write, but it's nice to know that you've given some thought to that flow of a case study. Right. Yeah. You, you kind of want to show that you were a part of it. Like I could speak at length about like the Hershey company, for example. Like I could really talk about like the legacy of Milton Hershey and I could do, talk about these things. But when I first would show my work, after freelancing there, I just kind of like had it up there. And then, you know, people were saying I would, when they would ask me about it, I, I would know, but I, I wouldn't lead with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like I would talk about, I would show the work and be like, well, there's the work. 
Mm-hmm. And then I recently spoke with uh, Richard Swain at Huge, and he was saying, you know, the way that you talk about your work is really great, but I have to ask the questions. You need to come in and tell me that. Because uh-huh. it's like if this was an interview and I, I didn't, you know what I mean? Like I didn't ask these questions, and they're kind yeah. of just like observing. A more senior person, a leadership position or a C-suite person might want to might want you to lead with results. And uh, if you're working with other designers, then you can talk about the process and you can talk about explorations. But typically, you want to like inverse oriented, like almost like you're writing a headline, like results achieved, and then you can get into the process yeah. if there's time. But depending on depending on who you're talking to and how much time you have to talk to them or with them, um, start with results, start with impact, start with what you achieved. And then you can get into the nitty gritty of like, this is what I went through and these are my learnings and I laughed, I cried, it was great, it was better than cats. I took a million <laughs> pictures, I edited them out, like yeah. I documented every step along the way. If you have that stuff, great. Like if you have the time, then you can go into it. If you don't have that stuff, then you can just hide it and uh, and cut to the chase. And it's okay if you like um, don't, if you have it in your deck but you don't show it in the meeting and you just have it at the end. If you yeah. want to like, give an addendum to a case study. That's totally acceptable. Right, for sure. What about for people that are kind of pursuing like um, like entry-level entry, entry level roles who may not be able to, to show that yet? So I think that I'm kind of coming to a phase in, in, in my young career, but I've, I've also had some experience, so I'm, I'm now more is expected of me, right? But if you're leaving school and you're an entry-level designer and you don't have like the, the metrics or you know the, the big brands to show for it, what if you, what do you do if you're in those positions? If you're walking around your world and you see something that's frustrating, use your design skills and use your neighborhood or your friends or your coworkers to help identify the problem, help socialize the problem and help solve the problem. And it doesn't need to be a client paying project. You don't need a client to sponsor your design thinking or your design doing. You you can approach everything in your neighborhood, everything in your world, everything along your path every day as an opportunity to collaborate and solve a problem. It doesn't need to come from your sponsor or your client or uh, a nonprofit pro bono project. I mean, that's another good resource, but right. know, knowing that you can look at the world this way and knowing that you can like approach problems collectively and also individually is super important. And it doesn't need to be like a you know a website or a startup or a brand. It can be, uh, it can be something common. It can be right. something that people experience, and then it's going to be even more relatable um, that you have uh, you have identified something that maybe people didn't think about. Right, or that you like went out and kind of made these like social connections. I, there's this guy uh, on the, the the platform of the train that I take every morning, and it's uh, it's a coffee cart. The product, like what they do is great. Like the coffee's good. The stuff they have is good. But like that's not that great. And I always have had in my head like I am going to rebrand this one day and this is going to be a thriving operation. But I, if I was a creative director, I would find that so cool. They took something as like mundane and boring and turned it into something extraordinary. You know what I mean? I think that's a really great opportunity for a young designer. It just shows that you're like you're hungry. I think like showing how ambitious you are, regardless of who it's for, is always will always play well and be respected. You know. I agree. I completely agree. Um, I have two more tips. Yes. Um, go ahead. As many as many as you can. I'm ready. 
uh, you can ask for help and you can reach out and you can get advice, but don't pick brands. It just sounds painful. Don't, yeah. don't, don't ask use me that if, expression. You mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, don't call your resume resume.pdf because if I put it in a folder of potential hirers and uh, I get two resume.pdfs, guess what? Yours is going to get overwritten. Call it your name and like the month and the year. Um, yeah, so, so that's like timely. Track it down, exactly, and it's timely. And lastly, send thank you notes. Like, yeah. Even if you're not sure on the address, like Josh Silverman, Twitter, I mean, you could, you could find the the street address, even if you didn't know what floor I was on or what desk I sat at, like hopefully it'll get to me. Yeah. Like a printed, handwritten thank you note goes a very long way. And it's not just because I like mail. Um, and it's not just because I think it's cute and uh, and uh, endearing. I think it's because it, it shows that you've taken the time um, and that you appreciate mine. So I've realized like recently from some of like the, the people that have been reaching out, it's kind of, I'm in a weird place now where people are actually like talking to me, which is kind of scary. I kind of just used to put things on Instagram and like thought like they were all Twitter bots or, or like Instagram bots or whatever. Um, but people, and I've been getting notes from some people that are, some are entry level designers and some people are much further along in their, in their career. So um, while I want to help out entry level designers, I also want to talk to people that are, you know, in places like where you are. So um, could you maybe talk about like what it is you do on a, on a day-to-day basis at, at Twitter and kind of like, you know, a lot of my listeners are from New York. So it's kind of like what the, the culture is like in San Francisco and what it's like to work at a place like Twitter. Um, I've been at Twitter almost a year and a half. And um, as I said earlier, my, uh, my, my role is new. So I have been laying the groundwork for this role as I've been going along it. Um, my first six months were nothing like every month subsequent after that. Right. Um, it, it took a while for me to figure out how to get things done and how we get things done here. Since, since this year started, um, I have been running our weekly design product critiques every week. So you asked me to tell you what a typical day is like. So Tuesdays are crit days. And that is the one day of the week that I can count on being like back-to-back conversations all day, right. um, nine to nine to five, nine to six. Um, I'm an early bird. Maybe it's residual from being a New Yorker and having some clients uh, on the East Coast when I was living on the West Coast. But I'm still up at like quarter of six some days, and I'm here at the gym. I, the, the gym is right next door to Twitter, which is fantastic. That's awesome. And sometimes I'm the first or second or third person in the common space, um, having lunch or having breakfast at seven thirty in the morning. Um, I'm envious I, of guys like you. I'm a night. I'm a night owl. Oh, but I, I want that, to be the morning guy. I'm trying to I, switch it. I'm trying to trick my body, but it's not working. I think that changes as you get older. Honestly, what I love about the work culture at, at Twitter is that everything is. Very experiment-driven. Uh, we are constantly experimenting with the product. We're constantly thinking about what content or modules or features to serve you based on your use of the product. Um, I wouldn't have expected this coming into Twitter, but there are about a thousand versions of the app out right now in the world. Wait, what? Based, I'm confused. Yeah, <laughs> based, on, based on those things, based on how you use it, what device you're on, what uh, version of the app you're running. Um, your followers, how many people you follow, whether you're a heavy user or a light user. So we're constantly tinkering with with that data, and we make a lot of ex- we make a lot of decisions based on the experiment data. Um, curiously, 
we don't do a lot of, or I'm starting, I'm starting to shepherd a lot of process experimentation because we've been so product experimentation focused. There haven't been a lot of like, what if we configure the team this way? Or how about if we uh, bring this kind of person in earlier on? How would that affect the experiment? Right. I'm thinking about it from the team configuration perspective, and that's going well, though it's essentially it's changing a culture, and that's going to take some time. Yeah. So um, when I started, I helped launch our design system, um, helped with facilitating the conversations around the name and the brand, and then once we figured that out, we applied it to some swag. I helped produce all that stuff that was easy, fun stuff. Um, I also helped like some some of the documentation of uh, the system and the components and putting it all in one website that's only accessible to Twitter employees, which is fantastic. I also help with the socialization of why we're doing a design system and why it's important to use the components that are already in place versus creating something from scratch. Yep. You, you would almost expect from a culture that's so entrepreneurial, people think, oh, I'm going to try this thing. Maybe I should just create this thing from scratch. But chances are it exists in our design system already. Right. I'm thinking about our process, particularly how, they, how the different stages of the process show up in crit. Um, you'd expect to get different feedback when you're brainstorming than when you're about to hand something off to engineering. Um, you get like more fine, finely tuned uh, feedback right. during a design when it's further along. But the whole goal of that is to bring uh, bring your work to crit m- more frequently and sooner in the process, so that we can help steer your your vision for what the product feature is going to be or what the new kind of way of thinking about this is, is um, going to look like. Yeah. Um, so that it is aligning to our design system and, um, and uh, well socialized. Um, because uh, more often than not, um, there, is, there are some people who've worked at Twitter who have historical knowledge that can say, we tried this experiment, and here's what we learned from it. Yeah. So Those people are super important in a big organization, for sure. I've, I've yeah. seen that firsthand. Um, I also started um, thinking about our design principles, and I'm constantly thinking about that, even though it's not an active project, um, because it, it would be wonderful to make some of those ship it or don't ship it decisions based on principles and not ego. Not that I'm suggesting that we have decisions by ego, but um, the nice thing about principles is that everyone can look at them and point to them and say, this is what this means, and this is how it informs my design thinking and the experiment doing and how we're going to um, decide what to do with this idea. Right. As, a, as the first design producer and product, I'm working on, um, uh, on all those things, but I'm also thinking about how the product and brand and marketing teams collaborate. Um, that's easy to do when it's about events and fun stuff, but it's uh, a little bit more complex when it comes to how can we help each other get our work done. Um, just yesterday, one of the um, new hires in the brand marketing team is working on a web style guide so that agencies can use consistent um, uh, logos and type and color, um, and not just logos, but like you know what a feature looks like in some of their um, in some of their mocks. But uh, why wouldn't we? Uh, why wouldn't be? Why wouldn't we be able to leverage the system build out? that we made with Horizon, our design system, for the web style guide. Why wouldn't we be able to like share that knowledge? So yeah. that's the kind of cross-functional, cross-team matchmaking that I'm doing, which is 
fun, but also very valuable. Um, and I want to have 10 of me doing that kind of work because I just have <laughs> a lot of that happening. Um, additionally, I'm thinking about project status, like who's working on what, what stage is it in? Who's the team? Is someone going on vacation? Is someone going to have paternity or maternity leave? Is someone going to be able to do this work from New York or London or wherever? Um, I'm working on a speaker series. I helped get the... I'll come uh, speak. Meet the creators. Let me know when you're in SF. We'll make it happen. Okay. Uh, I'll just lie and I'll tell you when. I'll just say a date and I'll fly down there. I had the General Assembly class uh, come and speak to us and learn about how we work together. And I had representatives from product and, and research on a little panel sharing some of our work that we could share. Um, I, um, I do a lot of industry networking and there's a great, great resource called designbetter.co. And they came and interviewed the Horizon Design System team about how we made our system. Um, that's a fantastic resource for um, product teams and just uh, design sure. thinking. I'll link it up uh, in the comment section. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm managing the blog and also writing and editing for it. I'm. Do you um, sleep? <laughs> uh, a lot, actually. Yeah, um, that's good. And I and I helped reconfigure our studio space when we moved from one floor of the building to the other floor. And I'm thinking about the space that we use for design crits um, to make sure that it's like op as optimized as it can be. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that sounds awesome. It sounds like a, like a big uh, like like a, a lot to handle. But I think over over the, the your career, it seems like you've definitely had the uh, the experiences to to oversee that, and that's really cool. This has been incredible, Josh. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, is there anything that you would like to to leave on in terms of like advice for um, for entry level designers or you know people that are trying to find their way and maybe are going through some like hard times? What's your your best advice for for people like that? Yeah, I have a couple things on on that. Um, optimism rules. Um, if you're if you're having a bad day, and we all do, um, do some self care. Like, go for a walk. Do whatever you need to do to like make your physical self feel better, and then your mental self will will probably come along. Um, so My posture just got better as you said that. I said I set up more straight. It's good. <laughs> good. <laughs> There you go. I was it's, sitting like this. I was like, yeah, he's got a point. Man. What do I do? It's at work. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think if, you're, if your optimism is tapped out or like running low, um, it might be rekindled if you do something that's inspiring and do something that's like in, uh, interesting or inspiring to you but adjacent to design, like going to a museum or going to see a concert or if you play an instrument, playing that instrument, reading a book, writing uh, riding your bike or writing down some poetry or whatever it is that you right. you want to do that is a, another outlet. Um, for me, I love more. to cook a lot and I love to eat. And so um, I'm constantly experimenting with like different kinds of recipes. And then I usually um, feel better the next day. Um, I, I've also like gotten massages and like uh, thinking about kinds of like different treatment modalities like acupuncture there's like all sorts of ways of of managing self-care that help replenish your optimism um and and when you have that optimism it's really important to be able to share it uh and being a designer means you have to share it like your optimism is the thing that's going to carry something through that doesn't exist yet um and totally. if you if you learn 
that what you were so optimistic about didn't work, then guess what? That's also a gift, and you can figure out how to apply your hypotheses differently the next time. I had one other one other uh, yeah, advice. For me, there's you can learn a lot by doing. Sometimes the learning is in the doing. Um, I have never designed a bed before, but I worked with a woodworker to design a bed, and then all of a sudden I figured out how to design a bed. Um, but if I didn't do it, then I would have a lot of hypotheses around how to do it, and I would just have those hypotheses or ideas, but I wouldn't have applied it. And in applying those ideas, I learned doing it. And yeah. that's the best way to learn. It's, it's not thinking, oh, I'd like to do this someday. It's right. in the doing that you learn how to get it done or how not to get it done. And sometimes you need a mentor. Sometimes you need a technical advisor. Sometimes you need a strategic advisor or any kind of other people who have done something that's adjacent to what you're working on. But like, if you haven't done something and you're curious about it, um, doing it is how you learn whether or not it's going to work for you or if it's something you want to carry on. Uh, where can people find you online? Thank you so much for doing this. This is so awesome. It's been really fun. Next time I'm out in California, I'll have to come uh, come visit you. Yeah. Uh, my site is mynameisjoshsilverman.com because Josh Silverman was taken. Um, <laughs> my Twitter is jhsilverman and my DMs are open. Hit me up with any questions. I will reply eventually. And thank you, Rob. This has been really fun and I'm glad yeah. to cross paths with you and thank you for for having me on the show. It's been it's been an honor. Yeah, awesome. I, that's so crazy when people say that. People say like it's like an honor. I'm like, oh, me? Me? It <laughs> is. You've put, you put together quite a roster, so thank you. Thank you. I, it's, uh, it's been an amazing journey. I, I am uh, just as confused as everybody else is on how I got all these people to come, but I'm super grateful for it, and uh, I'm just oh, going to keep going until they tell me no. You know the, the Terry Gross um, autobiography? You no, know the title? I, I will definitely check it out. It's all I did was ask. Yeah, I'm huge on that. John Contino yep. says that all I got to do is ask. I love that. It's true. true. Anyway, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. I know you're a very busy guy, so I appreciate you taking the time out. And have a great day. Thanks again. It's awesome. Cheers. All right, take care. Bye. Thanks for checking out this episode of Meet the Creatives. If you enjoyed it, uh, make sure you add me on Instagram, Meet the Creatives NY, and let me know your thoughts. And make sure you subscribe on iTunes. All right. Have a wonderful day. Peace.